Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. My name is Tim Barton, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Vine. And I want to start you just with this phrase um, today. We all desperately need the gospel. Let me, let me say it again, okay? We all desperately need the gospel. Do you believe that this morning? I think probably most of us in this room would say, yes, we believe that. Most of us that are here today would believe that. But maybe you're here for the first time Or maybe you've been around a little bit and you're just not sure. I want to ask that you listen this morning to this truth that we desperately believe it. And maybe you're here today and and you know that's true, that we desperately need the gospel. And yet, you may not realize that you need it as much as you did when you first believed it. And so today, I just want to ask you to keep that in the back of your mind. Be thinking about that as we go through this passage of this morning. You see, again, we all desperately need the gospel. Let me remind you what the gospel is. Pastor Mark shared it again last week, but um, the gospel is the good news of Jesus. That Jesus died, that Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. Jesus died for our sins. He rose again. He is exalted as the Lord and Savior. And as he's exalted as that Lord and Savior, when people put faith in him, there is repentance and forgiveness of sins to all who repent and believe in him. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just leave us there. He gives us the Holy Spirit and therefore sanctification in this life. That is dying more to sin in our lives and living more as he calls us to in his word. God, in his wisdom and his love, in his care, in his mercy, in his compassion, God made a way to save the unrighteous and to make them righteous. And that way is that he gives us what was not our own. He gives us, he puts in us, the biblical word is he imputes to us the righteousness of Jesus. The Apostle Paul in Romans, we're going through Romans. If you're not familiar with what we're doing here, we are going through um, the first couple chapters of the book of Romans. And as we do that, uh, the Apostle Paul is proud of this truth that we all desperately need the gospel. He's, he's proud of it. He's ready to preach it. Paul, as, as Pastor Mark told us last week, um, was eager to go to Rome as an evangelist. And in Rome, Rome was the center of the known world at the time, right? And it was full of influential, wise, mighty, powerful people. And so Paul was eager to go there. It also was full of the other extreme, right? But, but Paul was eager to go there and to share this truth. And he wanted to do that because he knew how much Rome desperately needed this truth. He cared about the fact that there were people there that didn't know it. 
Guess what? Rome desperately needed it. And so do we. But let's look at why Rome needed it. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. We're reading one verse today. I know that's shorter than normal. There's a lot here, and it'll set up what we do in the weeks to come. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. God's word says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They desperately needed the gospel. And so do we. Because the wrath of God is real. And the wrath of God has consequences for those who are not in Jesus. But I also want to just make sure that if you're, you know, you're in Jesus, you're like, okay, good, got that covered. Let me also say this. And this is what he's setting up, and we'll unpack in future sermons as well. But when we are in Jesus, with his righteousness given to us, the wrath of God is still really important. Because what it shows us is that God does not look upon sin lightly. The wrath of God has been satisfied for us if we're in Jesus. But sin still matters. How we live our lives in honor and obedience to him still matters. Because our sin as followers of Jesus should grieve our hearts. Our sin should, should bother us. And let me tell you why, or give you an example to help you see that. We do, um, I have the privilege of leading our associate members, or our students who come for associate membership. And when they come, we teach, we go through a six-week class um, and then after that class, if they're ready to proceed, acknowledging that they, that they understand their sin and that they know they need Jesus as their, their Lord and Savior, then we meet with them. And usually I'll have an elder meet with me with them. Well, this, this time, just this week, I was meeting with a little girl. And we asked her, when you sin... How do you feel when you sin? What goes on in your, in your heart and your mind when you sin? And she teared up. She said, it makes me sad. It makes me sad. Well, most of the time, you, you know, not most, but a lot of times when you interact with children, you go to the next question, why does it make you sad? Well, because I know I'm about to get in trouble, Right? But that's not what she said. Why does it make you sad? And she said, because I know that my sin is against God and God, and, and God doesn't like sin. And I know it hurts people around me. That little girl gets the gospel. She understands. Not just in her head, but in her heart. And so for us, it's important for us to understand this wrath of God, even as those who that wrath has been placed on Jesus for us. If you don't believe in it, if you don't understand that all, that is you, that is me, that is everyone, deserve it, 
then we cannot comprehend or appreciate the magnitude of the good news of Jesus, of the gospel. You see, if we don't believe this about ourselves and about the culture around us, that we all deserve this wrath, then the message of the gospel is not going to keep exciting you. It's not going to encourage you to share it with others because you don't see it as your greatest need. If you're a believer, you won't see it as the lifeblood, the strength, the core of your ability to live out the Christian life. And so we're not really going to share it with others either. Imagine if this afternoon, for our 20th anniversary, if you're visiting with us here, we have a 20th anniversary celebration this afternoon, big deal. Um, but imagine if you show up for the 20th anniversary, okay? And, and all up at this entrance up here, um, there's a police barricade, and there's, a, there's like barricades all around, all the way down Silverleaf, and, and there's like National Guard and all this stuff, and maybe they even have a helicopter flying over, you know? And as you come and you show up, they're, they're, they won't let you pass those barricades without a ticket. That'd probably irritate you, right? But what if you found out that the reason they were doing that was that there was a threat to our safety for that event? It would kind of change your perspective, wouldn't it? That they were there to help and to protect, that it was actually good news that they were there. That's what Paul's doing here. He's like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but the reason I'm not ashamed of the gospel is because I know the alternative. I know how much this gospel is needed. And he's trying to help them see it. It's needed because it's the wrath of God. When the wrath of God is gone, the gospel's gone. If people don't need a savior, if we don't need a savior, we will be content. See if this sounds familiar. We'll be content with a good example We'll be content with a good book that kind of helps guide us a little bit. We'll be content with a life coach. Something like that. And so we're going to spend the rest of the time today talking about this topic, the wrath of God. You are like, oh boy, great. And I know, I get it, it's uncomfortable for us. But like Paul, I want to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then I give you a little caveat, except when I am. Because I don't want to talk about this today either. I'd rather, much rather talk about the love, mercy, grace, and acceptance of God, right? But that means nothing without the wrath of God. And this is where we are in the passage. It's why we're walking through Scripture um, so that Pastor John and I can't do a cop-out and say, yeah, we're not going to talk about that this time. We're going to just move on to something else. And so we need to see what God has for us today. So again, the wrath of God, verse 18, is revealed from heaven. So why does the wrath of God exist? And we're bringing this up, we're talking about it. What, why does it exist? Well, it flows from God's character. The fact that God is completely holy, just, right, good, and full of truth. You know, when we think of wrath, and this is part of why we struggle with this, because when we think of wrath, what we think of is, some, is like maybe it was your parents, maybe it was some authority figure in your life, 
losing their temper, temper, flying off the handle, being out of control, angry. Does that not think, think, make us think a little bit more? That's kind of what we think of as wrath. You know, this morning I walked in early this morning, and you can see here I have my little, little papers um, that I just kind of keep some notes on as I go, and I like to cut those. And, um, and so I walk in, and I walk in to find um, the paper cutter where it's been for the last 11 years every Sunday morning that I walk in. And the paper cutter wasn't there. And I was like, what in the world? And I started laughing immediately. I was like, I'm going to have to tell them this today. And by the way, um, actually now I know who had the paper cutter. It's really okay, I promise. Um, (laughs) Scissors work just as well. Um, But I had that moment. But that's the kind of thing we think about when we think about wrath, right? It's It's that kind of reaction to things. That's not where the wrath of God comes from. And we need to understand there's a difference there. It flows again from the holy, just, right, good, truth-filled character of God. And so what Paul is saying here is that God's wrath is his settled opposition to sin and evil in the world. We see his wrath because of his determination to ultimately be done with sin. You know that there will come a day in the new heavens and the new earth where sin is completely done away with. Guess what? When sin is done away with, we don't experience that this world is a new heavens and a new earth. The the wrath of God is not going to need to be poured out. And that is beautiful. But when I talk about sin there, I want want to caution you for a minute. We start talking about the wrath of God, we talk about sin, and a lot of times when we do that, what's, what's the first thing that's easy to do? is to think about the world's sin, to think about what out there needs wrath, to think about what out there deserves it, um, to think about the person beside you and what, what, where they deserve God's wrath. I, I, don't do that today. Okay, We're going to have to talk about a little bit more of that as we unpack this passage, the, the rest of Romans 1, but don't do that today. Okay, Come back to we all deserve it um, because that's extremely important today. And so God cannot look upon sin without doing something about his wrath. That's because of who he is. Because of who he is, his disposition towards sin, again, is wrath. And so the passage goes on to say his wrath is revealed. How is it revealed? It says it's revealed from heaven. That's important. Again, there's all sorts of things out there that you, you, we, could, we could not look at the Bible and come up with all sorts of theories and try to work our way around this. I, it's really straightforward and clear. All right, the wrath of God comes for, is revealed from heaven. Remember, remember verse 17 last week? Pastor Mark showed us that the, the um, righteousness of God had been revealed. Well, this is parallel to that. Paul's, Paul's setting up the contrast, and it's parallel. The wrath, for the wrath of God has been revealed. All right, and so... Paul's showing here that God's wrath, though, when it says from heaven, that this wrath we we, we talk about comes with all the authority of God himself. It's something which God himself has revealed and made abundantly plain and clear. And so again, how's it been revealed? We'll come back to this again in the coming weeks, and, and we see this in all sorts of ways throughout this passage that we're going to follow throughout the Bible. But I just want to simplify it today for right now, um, is that it, it's been revealed on man's conscience, all right? 
see if this sounds true to you, that there is a sense in which all people, religious or not, Christian or not, believe that there is some sort of right and wrong. Is that true? Some sort. And then all people, with people, there is a sense that evil should be punished, or maybe in today's world we would say corrected. Is that true? Okay. Now, I acknowledge that what we determine as evil may be different. But there is that sense, and that is because we are created in the image of God. And so this wrath of God has been revealed from heaven in the very nature that he has created and put within us. That we, we, want, these, we want these things. That's because of who he is. So the sin then, if we continue in the verse, is described in two ways, or two categories. These will be unpacked a lot more later, but, but um, for, for today in these two categories. One is ungodliness. Do you know what the most broken commandment in all of Scripture is? I know that's a bold claim, but you'll understand in a second. Most broken commandment, I believe, in all of Scripture is, you shall have no other gods before me. Because where did sin start? You will be like God. You will be in control. You shall have no other gods before me. Man responded with, yes, I can. Watch. Right? Yes, I can. In an attempt to get rid of God or find a substitute God, we create false gods in our lives. Sometimes that's ourselves. <laughs> and our control. Or it happens when we say, God, you're not enough. I must have this person, these people, this thing, this situation to, to determine if I'm going to be satisfied and happy and fulfilled. And then that leads to the second category of sin that he uses here, and that is the category of unrighteousness. Because when that doesn't satisfy, when, when, then when um, the other approaches to, to trying to be God or find a God doesn't satisfy, then we live unrighteous lives. Because it's like, well, if that's the case, I'll just do what I want to. We live as if there is no God. Saying, well, then I will just do what I want, when I want, how I want to do it. Those two categories are summed up. When someone asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Remember what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 through 31? It was this. <laughs> And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Ungodliness, when that didn't work, it flows into unrighteousness that plays out in our lives and as we interact with those around us. And so... The wrath of God is just. We deserve it. We're subject to it as mankind because we rejected God. God's shown in creation who he is. 
But mankind has suppressed that truth, denied it, wanted to be God ourselves, and when we weren't able to accomplish it, we live as though God doesn't exist. When an, you, know, you, you hear an atheist say, God doesn't exist, all that is is a suppression of the truth. And that's where he goes next in the verse. Who by their ungodliness suppress the truth. Mankind, even us apart from the Holy Spirit's work in us, Jesus' work to call us to himself, mankind does not want truth. We want what we want. Again, I go back to we want to be in control. And we let our society dictate to us, just like societies all over the world, by the way. This has been going on for many, many years. I love history. Okay, This isn't new what's going on in our society. For Societies throughout history have done this. We let, we let societies dictate what is truth, what is just, what is fair, what is right. And we as Christians aren't immune to that in our own lives either. Let me give you a few ways that, I, that, I, that we can see that, that we are not immune to outside influences, outside being anything other than the Word of God, dictating what is fair and just and true and right. One of those ways is we try to manipulate it at times to make us feel better about what we want to do or about our own heart attitudes in the things we do. That that's a result of suppression of the truth, right? And being affected by the society. We do that. We, and I'm not saying you, I'm saying we. We do it, we just don't always realize we're doing it. And God shows us that. When we come to him through his word, he teaches us that over and over again. And that's how we learn to repent of that and to turn and follow him. Or another one is, well, yeah, we're just not going to worry about that part of what God's word says because it doesn't fit what our culture says is good. We're just, with that part, eh, I think that's a little outdated. We can't do that. It's all or it's nothing when it comes to God's word. Or... Let me, let me just state this. I say we can't do that when it comes to God's word. I, I just want to firmly state, because there's some children in here, some youth in here, God's word is not antiquated. God's word is not old. God's word is not, it's, it's old and steady, but it's not old and outdated. Where we struggle with God's word is where we need to ask God to keep changing our hearts to what he says is good and right for us. It hurts sometimes because we see things and we're like, oh. And we go back to like my little friend and it grieves our hearts. One other way that we can do this and that is that, that we can be affected by society and a society's approach and therefore suppress the truth. There's many others. I'm just going to share one other. <laughs> and that is we can think we're right. And in our defense of Christianity, 
we can be real jerks about it. And let me say what I mean by that. It's this, I'm going to be bullish in my defense of Christianity, and as I think that way, then it's going to cause me to treat others I disagree with poorly. We can stand in the truth and still be respectful and kind to others who are created in the image of God, even when we disagree with them. Now, let me say this, all right? That doesn't mean they're going to be kind and compassionate to you. Because if you're standing on the truth of God's word, I believe more and more people are not going to like us. They are not going to receive that well. And the, the, what, how, do you, how do people respond in that case? Well, you're closed-minded. You're not listening. You don't care. And this is the hardest thing, right? Is that as Christians, no, we do care. Or at least we better. Because we deserve the same thing that's coming. And so if you don't care, then I'd question a little bit. I'm telling you to ask God to show you what's going on in your heart. Because we're only who we are as followers of him because of what Jesus has done for us and satisfying the wrath of God on our behalf. You know, I was talking to someone this morning who said, he, he was talking about, he's about ready to quit watching the news. I'm like, well, I already quit that a long time ago. Um, and he said, but he said because he doesn't want to watch the news because it just feels like it's just bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news and more bad news, right? When we come together and we have to open a passage like this, it feels like, ugh, it's just more bad news. no. This is part of the magnificent good news, and we can't leave it out. It's a coin, and on one side is the wrath of God, and the other side is the love of God, and the grace of God, and the mercy of God. And we can't throw it out, because it's what makes the news so magnificent. Second Corinthians 5.21. Most of you, many of you at least know this pretty well. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Why could Jesus, God, cry out to Father God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus became sin and experienced the wrath of God. Because God cannot look upon sin without wrath. So at the cross, that is the clearest picture of the wrath of God. But it's also the clearest picture of his love and his grace and his mercy for his people. But if you say today, well, the wrath of God was for the Old Testament or it was for before Jesus, now God is only merciful and gracious, then I would ask you to just... Stop and pause and think in your own heart, am I serving the God of the Bible or the God of my own making? Because the God of your own making is not good for you and it's not good for those around you. This afternoon, I mentioned a minute ago, we're celebrating our 20th anniversary. 
And I was so thankful to Pastor John and to those who were um, on the leadership team for this 20th anniversary. Because when they came back, to what, what, what is our theme for this celebration? It was God's faithfulness. Why do I bring that out right now? Because we're not celebrating 20 years because we've done something so great. That God has used so many of you, and we're so thankful for Pastor John and Lizanne for all the work y'all have put in and the heart and the effort just over, I mean, 20 years is a long time, and it really was before that. We are so deeply grateful for that. But here's the deal. Whether or not this church had gone on for, has gone on for 20 years or whether this church went on for two years, right? God has a purpose in that. And God is at work through that. And you know what he's doing? He is saying, we deserve the wrath of God. Everyone around us deserves the wrath of God. But the good news is the wrath of God has been satisfied for those who come in Jesus. And as long as that message has been heard by one person, we could have spent a million dollars trying to make that message heard and it's worth it. Thanks be to God that he's done much more through it. I've been, I shared this with the youth on the retreat um, a couple weekends ago. But it hit me like a ton of bricks um, probably, I don't know, three, three weeks ago now. I was walking in the building one morning. I was on the Monday morning. I was tired, um, just worn down. And as I opened the front door, I looked up, and you've probably seen it. There's the verse John 15, 5 right there, right up above it. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. And then at the bottom, and this, I don't, I don't, it was just a design thing. I don't even think it was necessarily intentional. But at the very bottom, it says this, apart from me, you can do nothing. I was like, yep. I feel that today, Lord. But God is faithful. And God will use this message. God will use his word. And we cannot be ashamed of his gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. So as we prepare for the Lord's table, I want to ask you to do something for me. I want to ask you to just pause for a minute and just silent confession before the Lord and ask God to show you one way that you are either creating God in, his, in your own image or that you're viewing him um, through your own lens or that you're trying to make him a God that you can be comfortable with. Just one way. And after you have a few moments of silent confession before the Lord if he show, as he shows you that, then we'll come together for a corporate confession um, as we continue to prepare. So just take a few moments of quiet. Jesus, we thank you that you hear our prayers.
And Lord, we ask that you continue, Lord, to, to hear us. Lord, as we confess our sin together I'm out loud, and so I'd ask that you look up. We're going to confess together using Psalm 51, on the first 12 verses of that, and so we'll do this out loud together. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear with joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. And as we have confessed, both privately and together, as you come in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, your sins have been removed. The wrath of God has been satisfied. They've been removed as far as the east is from the west. Rejoice in that truth this morning if you are a child of God. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at The Vine CC. Have a great week.